Welcome back to the Next Next Generation podcast. I'm Catherine. And I'm Charles. And we are here to give our hot take on Season 1, Episode 12, The Big Goodbye. Hot take, woohoo! Hot take, hot take. Woo, 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 <laughs> hot take. It's a hot take. Our mission, to explore new ideas, to seek out new thoughts and new opinions, to boldly opine where no millennials have opined before. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. Make it so. Well, this is a very fun episode. And you can tell that by our jovial mannerisms. And our inspiration to do a hot take. Indeed. <laughs> We're elated and joyed by this episode, I think. Yeah, and we want to talk about it. So, this is the first in a series of epic holodeck episodes on Star Trek The Next Generation. They have established the existence of the holodeck, been on it, explained it a little. Right. But this is the first episode where most of the plot is on the holodeck. It's always a great time to explore new planets and to experience the unknown. But when they draw on tropes of the past, get to explore other genres, in this case, film noir, it's always a rip-roaring romp of a time. And, you know, imitating Earth history is a real world, even though in this case it's a fictionalized version. So it's always going to be feel more real and have more depth than these planets. They only visit one time. They always are also very outside. Have you noticed that? Yes. It's not that they've never shown a city. I mean, even in the very first episode, Farpoint was like a city, but it was small. Right. They don't have so far like complicated, populated settings like San Francisco, 1941. No, not usually. Mm -hmm. I did like that they had all the extras milling around all in period costumes. You had the street all well lit, that kind of underlit dark smoky shadowy tone you had the automobiles going by even picard is excited by the automobiles and remarks on it to the entire officers meeting yeah yes can't even contain himself he's so overjoyed by the experience that he has to share we'll get back to that yes okay so it opens up with first officer's log yes riker's talking because picard is busy rehearsing a very important speech they're making contact with the very difficult insect-like Harada, who we never actually see on screen. I'm starting to think, like, what are these insect-like humanoids going to look like? And then they just never did it. They spent all their money on their San Francisco set. Right. <laughs> that, that was fine, yeah. And that worked, too. They were like, we're not going to show our faces to you, inferior. Picard is the only one who can deliver this speech, apparently. They'll only talk to the captain. Maybe they would let him see them, but no one else. They definitely have a clear hierarchy, and they want to stick to that Mm -hmm. in terms of protocol. It's a naturalistic-feeling way to establish some tension when they eventually do get stuck in the holodeck. It makes the rest of the crew realize that the party that went to the holodeck are missing because they have this time deadline. Mm -hmm. And also, it's urgent that they need to get out. I did like the parallels in the story as tension was rising within Mm -hmm. the holodeck. Tension, of course, was rising outside of the holodeck. Yeah, there was good tension, and the conflict and tension felt earned. It didn't feel manufactured. I agree. Troy is rehearsing Picard in the speech. Yes. And then she's like, you know, you should take a break. There's the brand new holodeck, new and improved. 
even though the ship is new, but they still already upgraded. I think it's like, you know, <laughs> when game systems come out with a new console model. Uh, maybe it's like a new version, like software. Exactly. Yeah, it's Holodeck 14.2. Right. Or whatever, which, as we find out, has problems. Picard is like, ooh, yes, the holodeck, my new program that I can't wait to try. Insert smoky jazz lounge sound here. Yeah. Dixon Hill. Dixon Hill, P.I. Oh, yeah. 1941 A.D. San Francisco, Earth. He doesn't take a lot of persuading. No. (laughs) He runs over there and checks it out very quickly. Very kid in the candy store. (laughs) Yes. He's excited about trying out this new program. It really looks great. It's kind of funny because he's presumably familiar with these books and stories, but his secretary starts talking to him and he is so confused. He can't even follow her. She's too fast. Fish out of water moment for him, trying to get his bearings in this new situation. I think before with the holodeck, as we've seen, it's been more of a screensaver. It's sort of like a location you can walk around in and enjoy the sunset or enjoy nature. Yeah, maybe that's what got upgraded, right? Uh, NPCs. Yeah, NPCs are now vibrant and there's a lot more of them and they're all talking to you and there's a story. A lot more like a modern day video game. But they're a little too vibrant as we find out. Yes. I already knew what was coming. Oh yeah. So I was watching carefully, you know. Even his very first interaction with his secretary, she's telling him about this client that's waiting in his office, right? She says, nice legs, referring to this female client. And Picard looks down at his own legs. And then his secretary says, not you, her. That is really, really perceptive for a computer program. Very. To know that him looking down at his legs meant he was taking her words wrong. The computer knew what he was thinking, how he misinterpreted, and how to correct it. That's very complex. Yes. Too complex. For the situation and Mm -hmm. for the program's needs, absolutely. They should have been more scripted, like they have their standard five or six responses to each situation. Having it be like in real time learning Mm -hmm. shows that this AI is much more advanced than any of the Starfleet people realize. Mm -hmm. They're in much more danger Mm -hmm. because it's learning from you in real time and it can adjust and adapt to your needs. Or its perception of your needs. It glitches, but perhaps one of the reasons it gets more real is because they're so happy (laughs) to be experiencing it. Yeah. You know, we don't know. In the very first episode, Encounter at Farpoint, Mm -hmm. they did establish that the holodeck is real in that it's using real matter, kind of like their transporters, which is so downplayed that we had forgotten that they said that. Yes. You know, these things happen where they are getting hurt by the holodeck, and it's like, wow, how could that happen? But in episode one, They say it's real matter. Energy transferred into real matter. Temporarily. Yes. But at that time, it's real. Like I said in that episode, they've created this technology that they're all in awe of and perhaps only their most sophisticated computer engineers really understand. But it really makes you wonder if anyone truly understands what they've done. At that point where AI turns from just a simple program to having awareness, And apparently they hadn't reached that yet in the 24th century. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that, Dave. We'll get into that more because it gets more and more aware (laughs) as the episode goes on. And in future episodes as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll talk about that when we get there. Can't wait. This brings up a burning question I've always had. How do they 
divide up the time spent on the holodeck? Ooh, good question. It seems like everyone who wants to use the holodeck gets to use it whenever they want for whatever they want. But there's definitely not enough holodeck to go around on such a big ship. I have a couple thoughts on that. Okay. A couple possibilities to throw at you. Sure. Number one, the holodeck that we're shown mm-hmm. is the officer's holodeck. Oh, It could good be thought. the most advanced holodeck they have on the ship, mm-hmm. and it's reserved for their use. Second thought is that there is actually a deck full of holodecks. Holodeck rooms. Yes. Kind of. Okay. So they have multiple that can be used by many different people on the ship. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you that more than just the officers need to use it. They need to get outside. They need to get a change of space, change <laughs> it's of also, scenery. It's also for training. He even mentioned that in this episode. Right. It just seems like even with multiple rooms of holodeck, it would be the kind of thing you would have to sign up for time on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it would be so popular. It's always been at the back of my mind. The holodeck's always open. Wesley can just hang out in the forest whenever he feels like it. Probably not. They'd all want to be on there all the time. So Picard keeps his first excursion pretty short. Yes. He is thrilled. And he's also incorrectly dressed, (laughs) as everyone points out. He leaves the holodeck to go tell all his friends what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But we see it keeps running without him a little bit. It does. Which is unrelated to the issue they then have, supposedly unrelated. It is interesting they chose to show that. That was an interesting choice on the writer's part. I liked that he had to manually shut it off. It wasn't going to just stop on its own. I guess that's a parallel to computers. We have to do that with our programs. Well, you would think the human using the program leaving would just turn it off automatically, like shutting a window, Mm -hmm. you know, of a program open. That makes sense. I thought it was hinting already that there's a little bit more to it than they realize. I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. He's at the meeting. Just going on and on about how real it is and the automobiles, like you mentioned. Right. He's like, Beverly, come with me. And she seems to think it's a date. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And then he's like, well, bring Dr. Whalen. He's an expert. And then she gets all sad. And then he says the line about (laughs) when she kissed me. She's like, was it exciting? Yeah, she's very upset at him. He has no idea. Very salty. And then it turns out it's supposed to be a meeting to discuss the Haradan encounter. He's just been talking about other stuff. (laughs) Although then the meeting ends up just being a rehash of what they already told us, pretty much. Yep. Although we find out some bad things happened 20 years ago to the last captain who tried to talk to these people. They're really building up this race. It's funny because they leave it to your imagination. Right. (laughs) Data wants to replay the tape and Picard is like, no, it's probably him getting like impaled or something. I don't know. Something horrible. Yeah, they don't show that either. That's funny. And I think that makes it all the more intense. Picard has invited Beverly and Dr. Whalen. Then Data realizes that Dixon Hill is much like Sherlock Holmes. I think Jordy is the one who points it out to him. Yes. I have to say, this is a Data thing. Brent Spiner does a great job of putting in lots of sight gags mm-hmm. into his performance. Yeah. After he thinks about it, he has this sort of eyebrow arch he does and he kind of nods his head, kind of confirming to himself, maybe they are similar, the mm-hmm. two characters, his beloved Sherlock Holmes and Dixon Hill. And he immediately rushes to go investigate. He reads everything. Very quickly. Like a human, but in a computeristic way. Well, I said, why doesn't he download it? And you pointed out that he still wants to read to be human-like, but he does it so fast. 
It's really funny. Kind of missing the point there, Dana. Yeah, a little bit. You know, he's sweet and innocent. He can't help it. Pat, pat, pat. Yeah, he's adorable. So he comes out talking like a gangster and wearing a 40s suit. Fantastic. With a hat. They I all have hats. They look sharp in the hats and the suits. Bring back the hats, man. Beverly looked beautiful, Stunning. actually. Yes. Yeah, definitely the most nice looking we've seen her. I loved her hair. The bounce to it was fantastic. Well, Beverly's not there yet, actually. They no. go in without her, which, you know, Picard just can't help himself. Again, get in the candy store. <laughs> totally. They go back in the world. They're on the street with the automobiles. Mm-hmm. Very, very important. Honk, honk. Honk, honk, yeah. They talk to the newspaper guy, and Data acts weird and says he's from South America because he's telling them the future, even though it's not really because they're not actually going back in time, right? It's just fictional. Right. And then they find out Picard's client, the woman with the nice legs, right. is dead. Picard says he should have done more to help. And then two plainclothes police officers show up to take him downtown for questioning. And they're so excited to be questioned <laughs> by the police. Everyone is just big smiles <laughs> yeah, and beaming. Yeah, they're just beaming. It's, it's really cute to watch them be so excited on the holodeck before it turns into a horror movie. It's such a nice change of pace for Star Trek. They're always so serious. Yes. They're always having to play these really dramatic moments. It's great to see them kind of like cut loose, enjoy some leisure time, some pseudo shore leave. It seems like the only real good shore leave they get, well, I can't even say that because they had problems on the holodeck too. No matter Mm -hmm. what they're doing, they're always in trouble, it seems, on this show. Well, if they were having an uneventful shore leave, they wouldn't have an episode. This is the first time we've seen Picard have fun, except for when he was intoxicated in the Naked Now. That's right. Yeah. It's very nice to see him having a good time. Yes. We go back to real life. Riker has the con. The Haradan scan messes up the holodeck. Or so we're led to believe. Well, they show it making the screen on the holodeck blip out for a second. They did show it. Which shouldn't happen. And then when Beverly gets there, it's glitching. It keeps saying, please enter. And then it kind of opens and starts to close and repeats itself a couple times. Definitely glitching. She goes in anyway, though. Which, I know. You know, someone who's grown up with computers should know better, really. I was surprised that she showed a lack of regard for that. I think she was really, really excited about her date with the captain. And so she just kind of pushed forward no matter what. She definitely was. But I think that was also a product of the time the show was made. Mm. You know, these writers didn't grow up with computers. It's funny to look back. They're depicting a society that's completely integrated with computers like we are today, but they weren't actually writing from that place. Oh, that's right. As much. So, like, for us, growing up with computers, we would be like, "Um, I'm going into this room that's entirely the computer controls it, and it's glitching. I shouldn't go, you know? I should report the problem, but maybe they didn't think of it that way. That's a great point. I did not think of that at all. Mind blown. I think Beverly would have been like, oh, no. I shouldn't go in there. Interesting. Yeah. Because of the Haradan communication, they're really annoyed that Riker's in charge. Riker has to take another hit to his pride. Every time he gets the con, he has to deal with people who don't want to deal with the first officer. They only want the captain. Captain or nothing. Yeah. He's just dirt. Scum. (laughs) Slime. So then that's when they realize very soon there's something wrong with the holodeck. It could have gone on for many hours without them knowing. Good thing, too, because 
I thought the captain was toast at the end there. Yeah. So Jordy finds that they can't open the doors or make any communication. Wesley, of course, says he can help because he's read all the manuals. Of course he has. That's what it takes. Wesley, ex machina, to the rescue! I was better with the way Wes was helping in this episode. I did like that. I don't know why it had to be him visually inspecting the circuitry. No. But he's actually visually inspecting the circuitry, like, slowly. Yes. Instead of just being like, oh, look, it's right here, clearly. Um, Let me press this button. That was a great improvement for his character. I think the writers felt like they needed to give him more screen time. Yeah, that's fair. I also would say that I did like the way they handled having him working in collaboration with the rest of the officers and the members of the crew. It's not really justified that he's the main one looking. Should be Jordy. Yeah, but again, you know, he's actually doing it a normal way, so that's an improvement. Okay, so they're all waiting in the police station for Picard. Beverly really wants to get interrogated, too. (laughs) And then she sits next to this lady from the 40s and starts imitating her, crosses her legs, does her makeup. Very funny. She catches the eye of a, a sergeant. Yes. And then he gives her a piece of gum and she just swallows it. That was very funny. You just had to notice that that's what she did. It was very funny, though. Good physical comedy from Beverly. Mm-hmm. She had no idea what gum was. <laughs> I liked how everyone reacted very positively to her when she walked in. Everyone's mm-hmm. nodding to her. She looks great. Picard's reaction to how she looked. It's like a romantic movie scene. Yes. You know, he sees her. She sees him very closely zoomed in on their faces and reactions. Close-up shots. Where normally it's wider shots in the show. Even when they're showing a reaction from a character, you still see their immediate surrounding. Yeah. Mid-range. And this is striking. They have some significant looks. They do. It doesn't just look like sexual interest either. It does look more romantic. I agree. Mm -hmm. The lighting, the blocking was great in that sequence. It's Mm -hmm. on Picard, it pans along with him, and then slowly on the left of frame, then we get to see Beverly, then a close-up of the two of them close into each other, kind of being intimate, kind of doing a little bit of flirtation, some foreplay is kind of going on, and then she's like, let's go back to your office, what's going to happen there? Well, what's going to happen is Dr. Whalen and Data are going to go with you. The fourth wheel. (laughs) Third and fourth wheel. Yes. I was going to say, I think being in different clothes was all it took to trigger them and be like, oh, you're not just my colleague and commanding officer. We're people who are attracted to each other and have a long relationship. As soon as they remember that, it was just like flipping a switch in how they were thinking about each other. They could step into another person's role. He's not Captain Picard. He's Dixon Hill. Mm -hmm. I agree that it didn't take much and there was fireworks going off. Very clearly established the sexual tension and interest between them. Yes. Unlike everything with Yar a couple episodes ago. Let's just move on. Let's move on. (laughs) I'm bitter. (laughs) Move on. Okay. Picard gets released. His cop friend, McNary, gives him a a smoke. He does. And Picard tries to smoke. (sighs) Face bomb. He coughs and sputters. As one does. This is where you see it is a computer program because McNary doesn't react. (laughs) When really he'd be like, what's wrong? Yeah. (laughs) What's happening? Are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, I noticed that. You should know how to smoke, dude. This is 1941. (laughs) Get with the program. (laughs) So they go back to the office. It's already turned from, you know, a tryst to just some general sightseeing by the group. Yes. And then Felix Leach is there. 
Mr. Leach. He won't let them go. Nope. He holds them at gunpoint. They're all very excited. <laughs> they are. They're smiling from yes, ear to ear. They're and ecstatic at it. That's where everything changes for them. So we already know there's a problem. Right. Which normally I complain when we know more. But in this episode, they did a good job building tension with that. We don't know more than the Enterprise crew. We just know more than this one little group. Right. Dr. Whalen gets shot. Very dramatically. And he's dying for real. Again, bringing up the question. For some reason, they think this is outside of the realm of possibility. They should have expected that, transferring energy into matter, but okay. They assume that there are safety protocols in place due to the probing is no longer the case, or never was the case, we're not sure. It is funny that the safety protocols seem to be the first things to get overridden. Yes. No distortion in the picture or something like that. No, it's, it's the safety protocols. Plot device. Yeah, than definitely. Else. They realize they can't get out. It's really kind of tense and scary. Suddenly they're trapped in this world that they have no real control over. To me, that's where the episode really got good. We know that Harada are getting closer. And then Cyrus Redblock, the big bad, shows up. I liked his voice a lot, that kind of gravelly, grating, smoky tone. He has a lot of pompous... Acting like he's a gentleman and fights fair. He's straight out of, like, the Maltese Falcon. Completely. Picard kind of gives up and just starts saying, like, you know what? We are from another planet. Because Cyrus Redblock doesn't take their data is from South America thing. He's very suspicious of data. Right. He's not stupid. No. So Picard is like, you're not real. Yes. <laughs> they argue about that for a little bit and don't really resolve anything. And then Wesley fixes it, not before sending them into a snowy mountaintop and then back. (laughs) That was funny. And that was high stakes, too. He thought he could erase everyone. Yeah. Which would imply that the program thought that their matter was also something it created. Picard and them. Exactly. Couldn't tell the difference, which does remind you that the matter is real. Yes. Subsumed it into its matrix. It's just dangerous, okay? There's no way to make that safe enough. No. It's the real world, but they're messing with dangerous situations on purpose. Mm-hmm. Their door opens, although it's not opening into the hallway where they're fixing it. It's some random hallway where no one is, which is weird, because the door they went into is where Wesley and Jordy are. Very strange. It was just so that when Cyrus and Felix walk out there, no one is like, hey, who are you? And then they have an altercation. They were for a moment in the real world, and they slowly start to dissipate. They have a range. That's when it gets most delving into what's the holodeck. Because Picard has a really serious goodbye, as referenced in the title, with his friend McNary. Surprisingly heartfelt. McNary has kind of picked up on what's going on and is questioning Picard about whether when Picard leaves and goes back to his world, will McNary's world disappear? Will McNary's wife and kids still be waiting for him? You know, he's gained self-awareness that he's a projection. I think this is the way the computer is probing to find out the limitations of its program. Oh, so you think the computer is using some human emotion on Picard's part and a, a kind or appealing character as a manipulation? Yes. Oh, I didn't think of that. Hmm. Wow. You pick up on manipulation more quickly than I do. I'm always looking for it. Yeah, clearly. Okay, well, all right. Picard says he doesn't know what will happen. And I think that's true. I don't think he's lying to him just to make him feel better. I agree. He, at this point, doesn't know (laughs) what's going on with the holodeck. 
for all he knows, it could be like a parallel pocket dimension kind of thing where they actually are going back in time. We don't know if that's not true. They've created something that's gotten away from them, like I said before. Isn't there a Star Trek movie where they go save the whales and they go back in time and all that? We don't want to talk about that. Okay, we won't talk okay. about that. Seriously, though, Picard wouldn't lie to him. Because if it did just disappear, McNary wouldn't know better. It's not like he would be suffering. The character doesn't know. The computer is trying to learn, possibly. It's a lot of really nice drama. It was a very touching end to round out the episode. Let me just say one more thing. If you're right, then that would imply that the Enterprise's computer, which is huge and intelligent, controls the whole ship, is using the holodeck as a point of access to what's really going on with humans and understanding them. The only reason why I said that, and I kind of looked for that manipulation, as you put it, Mm-hmm. was because I am thinking of the future episode where they have the Sherlock Holmes adventure. Again, another great data episode. Yeah. And in that episode, you really see the ship become self-aware, foreshadowing that they're going to build on in the future. So the ship is taking on a mind of its own, but that's quickly brushed aside as Picard successfully delivers his speech. He does. To the Harada, opening good diplomatic channels with them for the first time. He and Data both take their positions on the bridge in their 40s gear, and that leads to our Data of the day. It was raining in the city by the bay. A hard rain. Hard enough to wash the slime. And that's where he gets interrupted by Picard. He's getting off on a tangent. In his 40s way. (laughs) Yeah, the 40s version of Data's tangents. Or babbling, as he puts it. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. This was mostly a fun episode. Yeah. Self-contained on the ship. We don't see any aliens. We just hear them. The main thing that was deep was what's going on with the holodeck, which is really just speculation on our part. But a fun speculation, and I really enjoyed our conversation on it. Definitely. So, how would you rate this episode? Highly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10 gangster datas. What are you removing the half a point for? Wesley. Of course. Why should I even ask? Overall, I... Love this episode. There was no awkward dialogue. That's been a big problem in the past. The tension built to the end. The original idea carried through the entire episode. Mm-hmm. The writing was fantastic. The acting was great. The romantic tension between Picard and Beverly was developed. You got to see some wonderful data moments. Oh, I just had a rollicking good time with this one. Gotta tip my hat. Tip your hat, see? <laughs> I would give this episode, I'm gonna do it, 10 out of 10 fedoras. Wow. I can't fault this episode, even for Wesley. I want to, but I can't. This was the best written episode so far. It had the concept. It had the follow-through. It had great dialogue. The acting was superb. It was funny. It was tense. It was dramatic. It was creative. What else is there to say? The holodeck is the best plot device I can think of off the top of my head. It's so fun. Leads them onto so many more potential stories than just random alien planets. It basically lets them go backwards in time. This is a great episode. My favorite one so far. It gives them the Doctor Who effect of being able to go anywhere in time and space. Mm-hmm. And when you have that much creative license for writers, you can get some truly spectacular things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where science fiction really shines. But they managed to make it fit. It didn't feel weird. It was this fictional world Picard loves to read. Of course he's going to put it on the holodeck. That's why it works so well, because it feels natural to the setting of the story, the normal setting of the story. 
we had fun with this one. This has been Season 1, Episode 12, The Big Goodbye. Listen here, see? Thanks for <laughs> listening. And you'll catch us next time on the next Next Generation Podcast. His cop friend, I neglected to write down his name. Kaneri? You want to look it up? We can look it up. Maybe we should. Amusing myself, wadadum bum. Ya ba da ba da ba doo da dee. Yum bum. Da ba dum bum. Ba ba doo ba doo ba doo doo dee. Star Trek, this is Star Trek. Next generation podcast, yes siree. Doo boo doo 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 doo. Gonna cut all this out in post. Doo doo. Ba ba doo doo. Gonna edit, edit as it goes. Catherine. McNary. Follow us on Twitter. Add us at the next next gen.